In this episode, I talk to Professor John Goldengay about the Old Testament especially and how he views and understands the Hebrew scriptures and their importance within the New Testament. I try in this episode to apply as much love and grace as I can to John's worldview and his interpretation of the Bible so that I can better understand how that fits in with who he is and how he sees things and how he interacts with things. By the end of this episode though, it seems clear from the kind of final goodbyes that I'm a bit of a conundrum to John and it left me feeling disappointed and sad. I really wanted to get across how sceptics can engage with these texts still, even if they don't believe them to be literally true or metaphorically true. And it doesn't seem to come across particularly clearly to John that there is scope for doubt and there is reason for people not believing these texts to be the word of God. To wrap up, Professor John Goldengay was a massive figure in my Old Testament studies when I was at Bible college. We used a lot of his books um, and a lot of his writings to help us better understand the Old Testament and its importance and relevance for today. This conversation, though, has left that in question, I think, as I'm now looking at whether or not we can trust these texts, if even those who claim them to be the Word of God are able to see how they could have been changed after the fact. How can you trust something to be the Word of God when you're fully aware that humans have come in and edited the possible prophecies or scenarios or ways of saying things to fit in with their agenda and their purpose and their meaning? Surely, surely it's clear to everyone that these texts could very well be fabrications based on truer stories and events to sit in line with theological perspectives of people in their time and place. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination. And I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam, and today I'm joined by Professor John Goldengay. John, it's great to have you on the podcast. Okay, nice to meet you. Yeah, so John, I've um, I've been following your work for a little while now, um, especially in my Bible college days, uh, back in kind of 2010 to 2013. Um, I used a lot of your resources, especially Theology of the Old Testament, um, for a lot of my essays. Um, and anyway, I've been kind of um, on, on, on this journey of, of exploring religion and, and, and Christianity especially. And um, I just thought it'd be fantastic to get you onto the podcast to um, share a bit about kind of your, your passion for the Old Testament or the First Testament or however you want to call it. Um, and also just to kind of hear a, a bit about the man behind these books. So I wonder if it's okay to start with, John, whether you'd be willing just to kind of give give our audience um, an, 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 an idea of who you are, of your, of your story and kind of how uh, how belief fits into your uh, into your profession uh how long have you got i mean i'm 78 <laughs> so long story um <laughs> uh, i um studied theology uh and uh was ordained and worked in a parish in london uh, and then went to teach in a theological college in nottingham and did that for 27 years uh and then um uh, went um, went to California to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, and taught in California for 21 years, um, and was also the pastor of a church. Uh, and then two and a half years ago, uh, kind of semi-retired, uh, and we came back to Oxford. Uh, I still teach online for Fuller. Um, what? How does that do? 
That's that's yeah, that's great. And I, I was I was going to ask you about that because I was still I, I kind of noticed, especially in, in your in your bio uh, on the Fuller website, it, it talks about you being being there and, and and lecturing. But I was going to ask you whether it was mainly from 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 home these days. Um, how does that work? How does the how's the time gap work for you? Well, it's not um, it's it's um, it's not synchronous. That is, it, the stu- I don't have the students don't li- listen to me live. Okay. It's uh, it's online, and there are pe- people all over the world uh, in it. So uh, I um, I set them material to read and a little bit of video for them to watch, but they they choose the time when they watch it, uh, and they do the reading and they uh, post um, comments on what they read and questions about it, and comment on each other's questions, uh, and then, and then at the end of each week we collect the questions that they posted. And on Sunday night here, um, I make a video that responds to their questions and post it, um, which, and as they then watch the video at whatever time they want to, whatever suits them according to whether they're in Nepal or Kenya or um, California or whatever. Yeah, that is such a good way of doing it. So I'm doing a um, I'm doing a master's at the moment in um, in it's not nothing to do with theology, uh, which my degree's in, but the master's in senior leadership, and I'm doing it at the University of Leeds, and it's um, it's obviously all been kind of from home. There were some potential kind of lessons, but um, everything's been basically forced into into this sort of framework, and I'm finding it re- really helpful. And I'm actually yeah able to study whenever I need to study and want to study, and it's a really good way of doing it. Um, I, did, I mean, when I first, when the first, um, when Fuller start first first started doing uh, online courses, I wasn't keen on it at all uh, because I thought that the interpersonal thing and the personal involvement was so important. Um, and then was pleasantly amazed to discover uh, that when people were online, they still got personally involved, and if anything, more of it because. If I'm standing in the classroom and there are 70 people there, they could be on Facebook or whatever, you know, they can be doing what they like or daydreaming. Um, and, uh, and when they did group work, I knew they were quite likely to be caught talking about the um, football game with each other rather than uh, the sub. <laughs> Whereas uh, if they've got to read things and then post uh, comments and whatnot and then comment on each other's posts, there's uh, actually more engagement. And they have told me how they have got more engaged with each other um, being online, paradoxically, than when they were physically in the same place. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It definitely does have that that ability to make people, or I don't know whether it's almost like having that um, that dis, disembodied um, kind of conversation, which means that you could potentially be more critical or more um, more honest with, 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 with what you're engaging with. Um, I've definitely found that, yeah. that helpful yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, I think for some for some people, uh, clearly some people really miss the being in the same room, the personal interaction. So there's a lot of kind of personal um, considerations coming to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was going to kind of ask you as well, John, if you wouldn't mind kind of chatting to us a bit about your um, your um, kind of Christian life and 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 how that's worked out in in your kind of um, yeah ministry almost. Um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind giving us a few minutes, kind of rundown of that as well, that'd be fascinating. Uh, well, I'm not in a sense. I'm not quite sure what you mean, really. I, I mean, I am. Um, as I, as I said just now, um, I was. Um, no, perhaps I didn't quite say it. Uh, I felt called to the ministry. I knew the Lord was calling me to the ministry, so uh, I went to a theological college and got ordained and worked in a parish, and then drifted into teaching in a theological college. But for me, it's always been the case that being a professor is a subset of being a pastor uh, rather than, for instance, the other way around or they mean two separate things or something. So that uh, helping people to get uh, engaged with the scriptures um, is not just an academic thing, but a whole life thing. And so in my own life, um, an engagement with the scriptures is important to who I am. And I want it to be that way for the students as well. Yeah, that was that was that was precisely it. That that's what I was kind of trying to trying to get at. And I think that um, I think that that comes across in a lot of your work as well. I know um, 
I know you've written quite extensively on the Old Testament, um, you know, but kind of a very popular series could be the Old Testament for everyone, um, which I know you kind of um, you, you kind of penned the, the, the commentary and um, translated the Old Testament and then uh, N.T. Wright um, penned the commentaries and translated the New Testament and together you've kind of got the Bible for everyone, which is a really uh, accessible but also different reading of, of, of the scriptures, uh, which I think is really helpful. But um, yeah, I, I would I would I would love to hear kind of um, a bit about your passion for translation and for um, being able to help people understand ancient languages in a way that's accessible today. I didn't originally, I didn't originally have a passion for translation. Hmm. Um, it was the, the guy uh, who, um, who runs SPCK, the publishing house in, in, in London, uh, Philip Law, uh, invited uh, Tom and me to do these commentaries uh, and he wanted us to do um, to combine translation with the actually writing the commentary. So it was his idea rather than mine. Uh, and then um, when we'd finished that, he had the idea of um, producing the translation as a volume on its own, separate from the commentaries. So I said, OK, thinking that would be easy. But actually, it was miles, miles, miles more work than I ever dreamt it was going to be whether I would have agreed to, to do it if I'd realised how much work it was going to be, I don't know. Um, because I think partly because I'd written the um, the commentaries in the Old Testament for Everyone series over a period of years, and I didn't have to worry about whether they were consistent. The translation was kind of consistent. But once it was going to be in one go, it needed to be consistent. Uh, but that actually did what was in part what led me to get enthusiastic and engaged with translation because I realised that um, whereas whereas in the old days, in the King James Bible, the authorised version and so on, um, you tend to get a consistency at translation and you get um, uh, some, uh, and it's fairly word for word, the modern translations tend to be more paraphrastic and they don't worry about using the same, always, always the same English word, translate the same Hebrew word. Uh, and, and that's fine. I'm not against that at all. Uh, but I came to appreciate through doing the translation the advantage of, in a sense, the old-fashioned way of doing it, of being more word for word uh, and using the same word to translate this, the, the, any, any one Hebrew word, because that helps you to see loads of links that you don't see otherwise. So the paraphrastic kind of translation is good um, for being able to get the drift of passages easily in their own right. Um, but the kind of translation that I ended up doing um, when we did this one volume translation, um, I think is more useful uh, in helping people to get at the actual words uh, and the way the senses work and what in, how individual words link with each other. So I, I wasn't sold on it when I started doing it, but I was sold on it by the time I got to the end of it. That's really interesting. I, th I think the thing I really appreciate about your um, translation of the Old Testament is is how you kind of try and keep to as close to the original names as possible. Um, yeah, so, oh, yeah. It's, that was think, another thing. The whole thing was trying to um, to 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 be unfamiliar, to defamiliarize um, the the scriptures for people, so that they were coming coming to it fresh, uh, and and. Um, the, whereas in in traditional well in all the translations really um, the names of people that we have in English Bibles aren't the way they are in the Old Testament they are English versions of the Latin versions of the Greek versions of the Hebrew versions so there are several stages away from the actual thing so again uh, helping people back into the fact that Jeremiah actually when when his mother called him to come in for tea she shouted Jeremiah come here you know, it was it 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 it's, uh, helps to bring home the the, um, the, the kind of um, ordinary humanness uh, and the distinctive and and the and break the stained glass um, of the translations. Yeah, I, I definitely find that. I find when I'm kind of you know going 
going through the ESV or the NIV or you know these these are all fantastic translations but uh, when you when you get into your translation um, I'm definitely I'm definitely having to work to read it but then after a while it just starts snapping together and flowing and I find it's um it's it, it's almost like when you pick up a, like a new novel by like a new author and you kind of this is this is complicated this is confusing these are weird words but then you you begin to understand kind of how it's written and, and where it's coming from and it, it works together but yeah it's, no, it's that's, definitely that's a nice but, analogy thank you for that's interesting yeah mm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess kind of so that just just to kind of frame this podcast as well a little bit for you, John. So, um, this this podcast has both Christians and non-Christians uh, listening to it. It is a podcast which started um, when I actually ended up um, kind of stepping away from Christianity um, due to just lots of questions and problems I had um, with it. And I'm still on the journey of kind of like re, re, re-understanding what Christianity is and talking to people like yourself and trying to get um, a really good like rounded view of, of why people believe. Um, and I just kind of I think it'd be really helpful because I think a lot of the time people – People hear about the Old Testament and they just instantly think of, you know, awful stories where people were barbaric and horrible and it just doesn't mean anything and it's all made up and it's just pointless. And it can be very easily portrayed within an atheistic lens to be a very negative thing. But I I honestly think that the Old Testament has some exceptionally beautiful passages and there's so much wisdom that it can be can can still be distilled and and, and shared with with the world. And I would just love you to kind of spend a couple of minutes explaining to us why the Old Testament is important and why why it's a book that is worth investigating even today? Well, I mean, for me, um, uh, the thing about it that that keeps me keeps gra- that grabs me that keeps me engaged with it all the time is the uh, real way in which it way in which it talks about life and talks about God in relation to the realities of life. Um, so that, uh, well, for instance, so, I mean, I was, um, I, I have been spending some time working on Ecclesiastes. Uh, and the fantastic thing about Ecclesiastes is the way in which it looks at um, the things that people think give meaning to life. So it's a kind of pretends to be a testimony by Solomon, uh, who's the guy who had everything. Um, and so uh, whatever Solomon says about having everything, you ought to take it seriously. So he talks about the way in which there were so many achievements. He, he had so much, he had power. Uh, and there were so many achievements in his life. Uh, and he'd had loads of um, enjoyment in his life. Um, and yet, and, and all of it was was kind of, not, not that it was worthless, but but the way in which, but none of it actually provided an ultimate kind of rationale, a reason, um, a logic for what life is about. Um, and uh, the, the realistic way in which he talks about being human and about not um, putting your uh, trust in those things that people think will make their lives really worthwhile uh, and the down-to-earth and, and um, uh, realistic way in which he talks about life um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, so that's the kind of thing about it. The um, the the uh, the point at which Ecclesiastes really came home to me and became really important to me was um, in connection. My my first wife Anne, who died what now ten years ago, uh, had multiple sclerosis, and um, she was at the point at which we went to California actually in nineteen ninety seven. Uh, was the point at which she became she she became totally wheelchair bound, uh, and over the years that followed, she became more and more unable to do anything for herself, and unable to speak, um, and uh, eventually unable to swallow and things like that. Uh, and and obviously, your wife being um, in that position does weird things for you and raises questions for you. Uh, and um, the, the way Ecclesiastes talks about um, enjoying the ordinary things about life um, and uh, came home to me in connection with Anne's being the way she was because it drove us, drove me, drove us into... Um, uh, appreciating the ordinary things about life, to being able to um, go out for a walk in the sun 
um, go and sit by the pool, uh, have a glass of wine, uh, enjoy each other's company, even if she couldn't say much. Uh, the, the importance of enjoying the ordinary things of life is the gifts of God, which is something that, something that Ecclesiastes really emphasised, um, came, came home to me as really important through Anne. So on the other side, on the other side, already before, I mean, even before before I'd moved to California, the kind of toughness of her illness and the implications it had for me made the kind of uh, open and confident um, and almost aggressive way, well, no, not almost, aggressive way, uh, that the Psalms took to God really important, that I knew that... Um, I could talk to God as my father and be as free and frank and protesting uh, as any um, child could be uh, with his or her father on the assumption that they got a good father, you know, that they could be like that. And that I could talk to God that way and protest to God uh, and also find comfort in God. And so, again, with regard to the ordinary things of life, well, not ordinary in a way, but the down-to-earth things of life, um, the way in which the Psalms led me into relating to God uh, was one of the things that made for me, uh, that, that made another part of the Old Testament really important to me. That's beautifully said. Um, and yeah, thank you for sharing about your wife. That's um, it's a really tragic um, story, but I think it's from from how I've heard you speak about it before, and, and forgive me, I've only really heard it on kind of a few a few kind of YouTube videos and things. Um, is it's it's something that seems to have really um, driven you deeper into into your relationship with God, and um, and I kind of wonder whether you would be kind of happy to talk to us about how how you can use things like the Psalms and and Scripture, whether it be new or new or Old Testament, it's all it's all Scripture. Um, how you can use that to actually engage with God? I know you kind of mentioned that the the the, the authors of the Psalms, um, you know, are, are quite abrasive and aggressive um, in their kind of cries to God and asking these questions. But how does that how does that look in a in a in a, in a, in a day to day setting, John? How do people pick up pick up the Scriptures? I know I've, I've spoken to um, I've spoken to Andy Wright a couple of times, and he's always encouraged me very much to to pray through the Psalms to actually kind of you know get get open open up your bible and pray he can't do that out. he's a new testament guy that's my <laughs> love uh yeah well maybe, maybe you stole it from you john maybe that's what happened um but um but yeah i mean i would i would just love to hear how how that practically looks for for you if if you're happy to share that um yeah well sure i mean i think one of the things that i that i sometimes say to people just the other day somebody was asking me in effect that question about how to get into the bible um, and and what I what I said and what I do say is, read three chapters of the Bible every day. Start in Genesis, start in Psalms, and start in Matthew. Say you read Genesis one and Psalms one and Matthew one the first day, Genesis two and, Math and Psalms two and Matthew two the next day, and so on. And see what bells it rings with you. And you'll almost certainly well you'll probably find that there won't be something uh, in in all three of the passages that rings a bell with you but with a bit of luck then one there'll be something in one of the passages every day uh, that will ring uh, bells with you and and if you go through that um, and you get through that in a year or two or something and then you start again to do it again um, then you find the next time round you the same thing will happen except it'll be different things because you as a person uh, are coming at the scriptures as a different person from the one you were a year or two years ago, whenever it was the last time you did this. Um, and so that's something I commend to people, partly, I guess, because it's something I found for myself, that you, um, that, that the question is, when I'm, whatever it is I'm reading, how am I interrelating with that um, on this day? What am I thinking? H how is who I am today? And the way that passage of scripture um, is speaking, how do they kind of interact with each other? Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. I think, I mean, I've, I've read the Bible through many times um, and I've always found it to be incredibly powerful in its portrayal of 
the human character and um you know there's a there's a great book um i i forget who writes it sadly but um it's called uh, reading the pentateuch as narrative and it's almost saying um you know i think um tim tim mackey of the bible project and I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the bible project um he kind of talks about this book as well and it's it's, it's this idea of um you you can work through the first five books of the bible and you can see almost god saying do this and then within a few chapters the israelites have failed and they kind of have to turn back around and, and repent and then god says do this and they fail and it's almost like it's almost like god's making the point that that humanity isn't able to to do <laughs> what, what what is required um to be able to kind of have this relationship with god um and i think that's such a powerful metaphor especially for 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 what i can what i can only assume to be a a, a people group who are trying to understand what it meant to be god's elect people um, or at least to believe that they were god's elect people um i don't think know. they were trying to do either of those things okay <laughs> go, no, that, that's, that's great go for it i'd, I'd, I'd love to hear your take well, it, God's trying to get them to do that, but they don't. <laughs> they, as you have implied just now, they aren't trying to. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to uh, look after their kids and, and kind of grow something, to, some food to eat and fight off their enemies. <laughs> and and yeah. God's saying, can I just get an elbow in here? Can I just talk to you a bit? It kind of relates to, uh, I mean, if you do start at the beginning, I mean, Genesis, one of the uh, reasons why I love Genesis is that it's so? Um, it's such a story, particularly the the, the second part. Um, it's such a story about God's involvement with dysfunctional families. Um, and I'm kind of amused when people are, um, as they sometimes are, um, upset or offended that the Bible tells these stories about these families that are so dysfunctional. I think it's fantastic that it does that. Because it is God being engaged, involved in, with them as who they are and not telling them what they ought to do, uh, but rolling his eyes and getting involved with them again. Hey, I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting When Belief Dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast. And for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. It's, um, it's, I miss what I was trying to kind of allude to before is, um, I think people tend to take sections of the Old Testament that, that they think are immoral or, or whatever or have problems with and then highlight those and kind of go, based on this, we can't trust what it says, therefore we should move on. And I think it takes, um, I think it often takes courage to to actually relook at at things like the Old Testament because it's it's quite scary, right? It's a really it's a really big book. Um, well, it's it's multiple books. It's it's written in multiple different styles. Um, you've got um, some amazing kind of historical scenes. You've got some beautiful poetry. Um, you've got the prophetic writings. You've got the end bit of Daniel, which is a bit confusing. Like there's there's just so much to it. Um, and I often think people are scared to jump in. Um, I mean, would you would you encourage people to kind of read read it whilst working through commentaries, or would you just say just 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 pick it up and, and work with it as you find it? Well, as I said just now, I think you, as I said just now, I think if you start say uh, in in the way I said with a chapter from Genesis and a chapter from Psalms and a chapter chapter from Matthew, and just read it, and, and um, I wouldn't um, if if you if you if you're puzzled about things and you want to find out about things, go and read a commentary. Um, but but generally speaking, commentaries m most most of what are called commentaries aren't designed to help you uh, relate to it as scripture. Um, and um, so I'd. I wouldn't put. I would. I would. I wouldn't. Um, it isn't necessary to use commentaries in order to get the. Um, in order to get into it, 
Um, by all means, look something up in a commentary if you're puzzled by something. You probably find the commentator is puzzled also and doesn't know the answer, which is a kind of comfort. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I was, I was going to kind of touch on this. I think we're, we're kind of getting to that, that bit of the conversation. What you were saying just then is, um, is, is, is the idea of kind of critical scholarship of the Old Testament can sometimes be quite harrowing and quite um, blunt in its approach to the texts. I mean, obviously, you're, you're kind of coming from it, uh, coming to them um, from a, um, a Christian's stance. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to have that conversation and, and, to, and to engage with that. But I'm also aware that there are people potentially like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Christine Hayes. Um, she's quite a well-known um scholar who who kind of comes to the comes to the, the the biblical narratives themselves and is quite condemning of what she finds and i kind of wonder if, if you would mind just kind of like helping us to kind of understand how those two things can fit together because very often somebody might read something they find confusing turn to a video like something from christine hayes or a or a kind of commentary which might be a bit more kind of harrowing and then kind of lose lose the ability to engage with it on the level that i think you're trying to encourage people to engage with it on if that makes sense uh yeah um well maybe read a different commentary is the answer okay yeah no, that's fair enough and i mean what what are your thoughts on 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 critical scholarship in 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 and of itself like is it something you just think is just pointless or is it something that you kind of ever engage with in sort of kind of uh, maybe debates or conversations with your students i'm sure m many times students have come to you saying I've, I've read this it's kind of going against the sort of christian interpretation of of this text how do you kind of how do you how do you work with well, those things most critical commentators commentators most critical commentators are christians um so it's not christian versus non-christian um i think that the that it's worth seeing that the the origin of critical scholarship lay uh in an awareness that the scriptures have been overlaid uh, by Christian interpretation, by Christian tradition. And the critical side to the commentating, to the work, uh, was, in a, was in a way trying to get back to the, what the scriptures of themselves had got to say, uh, rather than um, having it um, an overlay of that, uh, what I was calling just now, that's kind of stained glass variety. Um, and that's still a useful thing. It's also true that... Um, uh, well, he, yeah, here's an example. I, don't, I mean, I don't know about the Christian Hayes person, but as, as she's a woman, let me talk about feminist interpretation of scripture. Uh, because uh, the scriptures have traditionally been understood in a patriarchal kind of way, um, as if men are the thing and men own women and all sorts of things like that, and men make decisions. Uh, a, a critical feminist interpretation of scripture uh, sees that a lot, a lot of those things that have traditionally been said about the Bible aren't actually true about the Bible. So paradoxically, the critical study helps you uh, to see what the Bible has actually got to say. Now, it may also go, go way beyond that and be critical of the Bible itself. Uh, and that's when it, it may feel um, negative. Uh, but quite a lot of the time, the problem about people's reaction to critical study isn't that the critical study is being disrespectful of scripture, it's that it's disturbing people's traditional views about what the scriptures say, when actually the scriptures are saying something rather different from what you might traditionally have said. Yeah, that's big. I think that's a real a real challenge to a lot of a, a lot of what we like in life, isn't it? Whatever our um, our preconceptions or our yeah, that's ideas right. Yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to get over that. I mean, something I was going to kind of um, just wanted to touch base on, and I'd, I'd love to kind of jump into kind of how how the Old Testament is used in in the New Testament, but we'll kind of park that for a minute, and kind of just wanted to, to touch on this. Um, so there there are lots of different interpretations of how prophecy was written um, within the Old Testament. I'm aware it's a very very complicated subject, um, but I kind of wanted to get your take on this. Um, I mean, so I kind of lay out the the kind of two the two views I see, and then we can kind of just just hear your view and, and and move on, John. But essentially, the one view is that um somebody essentially had had a prophetic vision or um had a, a prophetic saying or something they believe was from God went and said it, and then um that thing then played out, and then that was all captured within a prophetic book or or, or writing. And th the other view is that um 
these things happened and then they were written back within the prophetic story. So someone was saying something and then something happened and that was re that was written into into the prophetic book as it as it was finally kind of um constructed within the Bible. So um yeah, I don't need to give you examples. I'm sure you can kind of understand where that could that could be possible. But um I, I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of hear hear, hear your view on that because I mean I, I don't actually think that that is an issue, you know, even to kind of engage with and, and understand and, and have meaning within those those books but um do you think that um prophecy is like one of those two ways within the old testament or is it is it something different um i'm not sure i really understand the two ways but let me talk about it from the angle of say jeremiah and see how this helps uh jeremiah is somebody who is living in jerusalem in the years before um the uh, uh destruction of jerusalem by the babylonians and he's warning people in Judah that um, Jerusalem is going to uh, be destroyed by the Babylonians unless they repent. Uh, that then duly happens. Uh, and then afterwards, Jeremiah and or other people uh, put Jeremiah's uh, prophecies together and talk uh, and include the, an account of how it did happen in fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies. Um, now, that sounds, sounds like both of the things you just said, but the way I just summarised it, there's nothing controversial about it. That's what any, any Old Testament scholar, I think, would probably say. So I don't I don't really understand, I think, the question, maybe. No, that's that's fine. I think that was a really a, a really helpful way of looking at it. I think um, to kind of hone in on, on the second view within the view you've just given us of Jeremiah, um, so someone could say um, that um, somebody was saying something like, you know, this is going to happen, and then... The kind of the way it happened was and the kind of extra detail was added after the events to kind of fill it out so it might not be necessary that jeremiah said everything that the, the, the book of jeremiah claims he said but he said things similar to or in 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 the style of and then when they kind of collected and collated jeremiah sayings with jeremiah potentially um it was kind of um, made to make more sense and to be clearer yeah um, yeah yes yeah, yeah that that's that seems to me to be quite a quite kind of uh plausible way of talking about it yeah Okay, cool. No, that's 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 that that's really helpful. Um and you know, it's a, a massive jump, but I mean, I I would I was I, I, I'm very much aware that the Old Testament meant a lot to 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 Jesus and and the and the Jews at the time of of of, of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And I think something that we don't kind of get across very clearly is that the people of Jesus's time were themselves feeling like they were in exile in the promised land i think that's something that's that's very often missed when we when we when we look at these accounts of jesus life is that these people believe they were in exile because the oppressors the romans were were there they 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 they'd conquered jerusalem they were patrolling the streets they had their coins with a picture of their god on and it was or caesar who then became a god eventually in, in the roman in the roman tradition but um yeah it is it is very much this 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 idea of 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 a, of an of an exile at home and i think the, the obviously people like jesus and and the other prophets of, around that time um were kind of talking about um this sort of um this this exile um or this sort of exodus or this sort of return from 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 an exile and, and, and god's kingdom and his and his judgment and um obviously when when the new testaments were written uh, sorry when 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 the gospels of the new testament were written um they obviously heavily relied on and utilized old testament uh, scripture and 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 showed how jesus life ministry and death and resurrection fitted and coincided with what had already been spoken of and i wonder if you can just touch on us uh, touch on for us john the, this 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 idea that the old testament is interweaved intimately with the new testament um yeah i wouldn't say they heavily relied on it because i think that they they were basically telling the story of jesus but but what they what they did was that they realised that the scripture? I mean, in a way, just look, they, they were doing the same thing as we do. The same things I, with you and I, have, by implication, talked about. We live our lives, and then we look to see ways in which the scriptures throw some light on the meaning of our lives. Uh, and so the guys, say the gospel writers, are telling the story of Jesus, 
but they're also but they're, and but they're asking okay what did this story mean uh what did this life mean and the scriptures uh help them understand some aspects of it not all of it but some aspects of it so um there's an interaction between the facts of his life and the scriptures giving them some of the um, framework or images or or whatever to understand it. Yeah, no, that's 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 really helpful. I think I've always been very impressed with how Matthew um, uses the genealogy right at the beginning to kind of um, really kind of draw. It almost feels like a Jewish audience in into his into his. Um, gospel well it, w- it would have been they, they were jewish they were jews who believed in jesus matthew was writing his gospel for yeah 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 and I, I just i just found that that really interesting how, how how all the gospels obviously contain old testament but they kind of how how they use the old testament is different um which is what i find really interesting is they can they can use it in a way that speaks to different people depending on who who they're talking to yeah mm, yeah um, okay, no, that's, that's really helpful. And I kind of wanted to, to ask you, this is again a, a, a very complicated and layered question, but um, when, when someone looks at the at the Old Testament, um, sometimes they can say, you know, this bit is this bit probably literally happened, this is a historical account, this bit is kind of in question, this bit probably didn't happen. Um, how do you how do you go about being able to kind of understand what, what would have literally taken place and what we kind of... Um, agree that's 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 a group of people by committee kind of said this is what probably happened and and this that we know is actually true like how do you how do you begin to look back at a text as old as 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 the jewish literatures and say you know this is true that's such a big question such a a hard thing to answer i think um it is though i wouldn't use the word true because i'd say it's true whether it's factual or not um I mean, Jesus told parables that were not true in the sense that you just used the word, because they were talking. He was talking about things that were just stories, but they were still true in the sense that they were true pictures of the way in which God uh, related to people. Uh, and the same is true um, about uh, in connection with the Old Testament. Um, if you let's go back to that the Jeremiah thing I was talking about, the the. The end of the books of Kings tell you the story of how Jerusalem got destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, it's straight. It's told straightforwardly as history. Um, I don't think anybody disputes that you've got something that is uh, telling you what actually happened there. Uh, on the other hand, when you when you uh, if you read the story about jo- story of Jonah, it's really funny, um, and it's told like a, a good funny story. Um, and nothing to do with whether or not got, um, uh, a guy can survive inside a, inside a, a whale, but simply it's a good story. It's a funny story. Um, I don't think it happened. doesn't mean it's not true. Now, those extremes, the, the Jones story at one end and the King's example at the other end, are something that is more like a parable, more like a fictional story, Jonah, something that's pretty much like history, uh, the end of King's. Most of the Old Testament comes in between. And I don't, quite often, I don't know where in between those two that it comes. But I don't kind of worry about it because I'm going to read it as the scriptures and see what I've got to learn from it. I know that it's true in the sense that I'm using the word just now in its picture of how God relates to people. Whether or not it's factual uh, doesn't make any difference to whether or not it's true. So uh, I'm sure that the basic um nature of the Old Testament story is factual, but I often don't know with a particular with a particular chapter whether it's nearer Jonah or nearer uh, the end of Kings. that was that was really clearly said yeah no thank you that was um that was really helpful and um something i've always i've i've, I've always wondered and i'd love to get your take on this is um it's which book of the old testament you think is the oldest i've heard obviously kind of people naturally just go oh genesis because it's the first but um a lot of people kind of obviously think job is the oldest due to kind of how it talks about god and 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 the figure of god um, within it so i i would love to hear your kind of take on that john well it is neither of those okay <laughs> 
uh, the I don't know. It's it's uh, in a way I don't know what the question means because m- most of the books came into existence over a period of time. I mean, Genesis would be an example. Um, and so the question, and we don't really know. You see, at what point there were people, people were capable of writing in the sense of writing their names and stuff like that, but the, but the, but we don't really know the point at which people started writing long narratives um and things like that so it's i don't know whether i've got an answer to the question really the current probably the well at least a current sort of scholarly attitude is that the kind of time in which amos lived the eighth century is the kind of time at which people started writing connected things like that and certainly um i do think that uh, amos and that that Amos and Hosea and people like that didn't write. They were preachers. Um, but but th- they got their material collected and written down. Jeremiah says he did that. Uh, and, and so it wouldn't surprise me if the first books that got written down in roughly something like the form that we know them would be Amos and Hosea. Um, but I wouldn't um, bet my life on it. And I might have a different view in another 10 years' time. <laughs> yeah no no that makes sense i think um yeah i was i was coming at it more from a um as as god revealed himself to these people they began to wrestle with um who god is and began to try and work out um what that meant and i, I guess i was trying to get out with with the job analogy is that the sort of way um that that book wrestles with god and the, and, and the idea of suffering and talks about you know kind of leviathan and it, it's very very much kind of like um a, a really old sort of um style of interaction i guess with those sort of deeper kind of ancient metaphors but i completely understand what you're saying which is that you know when did we actually begin to write down um longer narratives and i think that's fascinating is that it's it, it almost it almost seems from what you're saying john and, and please tell me if i'm wrong that the old testament emerges around the same sort of time that we begin to have these these longer more complicated um scriptures or passages or or, or or collection of works um where people are beginning to ask these these questions so god almost like reveals himself to a group of people who at the same time are beginning to be able to collate and collect and work through narrative um it, is that right well i think um i assume that job uh, is one of the younger one of the later books in the old testament the fact that it's written in the poetic form that it is and that it's wrestling with the questions it wrestles with is just as likely to be an indication that it comes from the Persian period or the Greek period uh, as that it comes. I don't. I, um, I don't think. I don't think there's any reason to think that it's that, that it's um, one of the oldest books. Um, I think that um, I'd rather put the question that you just put kind of the other way around. It, it's it's not so much whether people are wrestling. It's whether God, what God is doing. What God did was got was got some Israelites out of Egypt, took them into Canaan, engaged with them there. Uh, and the basic thing, the basic truths about God are ones that um, that God allowed Israel to know from the very beginning of their story. Uh, in a real sense, there was nothing, um, nothing new that people came to know about God. It was more of a filling it out. As, as in a way is what Paul says in Romans about people knew about God from the from the beginning um, that there wasn't there wasn't a kind of evolutionary growth um, there was some interaction with questions in different times for cultural reasons and whatnot but but not a kind of evolutionary growth or development yeah no that's that's really interesting I think I've always um I've always found books like the well, like the Bible, um, to be um, almost progressions in its sort of working out of God's character and what it means to be called by God and how to how to live as His people and um, yeah, it's just it means it's it's interesting um, to kind of hear that and I think something definitely I definitely need to go away and and and, and reflect on. Um, do you do you think do you think that could be linked at all to potentially um how god is named and called and and almost um 
thought of throughout the books like do, do those sorts of things change obviously the kind of, kind of the kind of name of god or, or or how god is talked about from like you know um the angel of the lord or these these three beings that kind of come and obviously one of them is god and two of them very often kind of attributed to, to angels and and the different way that god is expressed um is that is that a sign of wrestling with who God is and 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 how we as humans interact with Him, um, or do you think these are these are actual events that that that, that took place? Um, well, I think there's certainly changes in the way that people talk about God. For instance, in the the later books, they talk about the God, the God of the heavens. Um, the reason they why they do that is not because they didn't realize before that God was the God of the heavens. But because in their cultural context, when they're interacting with Persians and whatnot, that that title for God makes makes um, sense in their cultural context. So it's more changes of ways of talking rather than actually seeing things differently. Um, yeah. No, that's really helpful. Okay, so yeah, obviously, as people were um, engaging with the cultures around them, they were beginning to talk about God in a way that, that helped them and the people I, I assume that they're interacting with understand who who this this single this single God was that they were worshiping. Because it's um, I don't, th- you, but you, uh, I think it's more how God is relating to them than the way than how they are seeking to understand God. Okay, because you, you, you kind of mentioned this right at the start where there's this group of people that are just trying to live and grow food and just trying to kind of get on with life and God's almost coming down and going, hey, give me give me room to kind of show you um, what's happening here. But Yeah, but God was the one who took them into that land and gave them the land and, gave, and all that sort of thing before there, um, there's that wrestling between the two of them. God comes first. Yes, I, I, I don't think I'm trying to say he doesn't. What, what I'm trying to say is... I could see how a group of people would look at someone like uh, look, look, look at someone something like the Persian Empire or the Babylonian Empire and and kind of go how do we explain our god to this sort of group of people and because of that interaction because um, obviously most of these kind of books are written post those sorts of interactions um how god is called within the scriptures changes based on how they would have had to explain to um you know a, a, a persian person coming in um who god is and and what it means to be a jew and 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 and, and how the israelite community are called and set apart i think that's that's kind of what i'm trying to get at I'm not sure that makes sense right so. right 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 yeah okay John, I'm 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 very much aware that I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I just thought it'd be really really good to kind of um hear from you. If if people have have, have found this conversation helpful, which I, I really hope they have, it's it's I think the Old Testament is such an, an exciting and interesting area, um, something that I want to definitely learn more about. Um, what would be um a a book? Obviously, you've already mentioned read read the Old Testament itself, and that's really helpful. And I, I will be doing that, and I am doing that, and and I'm sure many of my listeners will as well. But um, what would be a good resource for people to be able to go away and understand more of these sorts of things you're saying to be able to help them to be engaging with this book um well obviously i'm going to talk about my books um i wrote uh, there's a little book of mine called a reader's guide to the bible that i suggest that people could start with okay fantastic i'll, I'll have that linked link down in the description so listener please yeah please check out the description and you'll see uh, you'll see a link to that and and i'll make sure there are links to many of your other works as well john um is is is, is there anything you kind of want to say or, or, or touch on before we draw it to a close um i don't think so thank you it's uh, interesting to talk to you yeah no i i really appreciate your time it's been it's been really helpful i think it's it's definitely good to kind of um yeah explore these areas with you so thank you so much john okay all right bless you i hope you enjoyed this week's episode to leave any comments or thoughts you can head over to youtube and to follow us on social media or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.